Welcome to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman, where the discussion is about the challenges and opportunities that people face when communicating with the opposite gender. Brought to you by the Tough Talk Radio Network. Now here's your host, Judy Hoberman. Good afternoon and welcome to our weekly conversation on Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on Tough Talk Radio. Now I'm broadcasting live from Chicago on what's considered the official start of the summer, Memorial Day. Now, it's interesting that most people think of Memorial Day as that rather than what it truly is, remembering those and honoring those that have made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. When I think about what today signifies, I try to come up with a topic for a conversation that I can have with my guests, both retired military, and I thought of service and leadership and values and passion, and the list goes on. But for some reason, nothing was clicking for me. Now, as I do every week, I consult with my favorite strategist, the colonel. And he gave me a word that I truly thought was more like a word Yogi Berra would use. You know, the kind of word that sounds made up. But I did look it up. And not only is it a real word, it's a powerful one. And the word is followership. It's the other side of leadership. Now, followership is the ability to take direction well, to be part of a team, to get in line behind a program, and to deliver what's expected of you. To give you some idea of how important this concept is, think of it this way. How well the followers follow is just as important to reach success as how well the leaders lead. Sounds like kind of a tongue twister, doesn't it? Well, you know what? We're always told to be a good leader, a great leader. But what if somebody told you that you were an excellent follower? Would you want that label? But think about this. How can you be a great leader if you don't have the ability to follow and function in a group setting? Can you be both a great leader and a great follower? Absolutely, depending on the situation. Can you be both a weak leader and weak follower? Unfortunately, yes as well, depending on the situation. So what are some of the good qualities of a good follower? You might see some similarities between a good follower and a good leader. They must be able to take direction while at the same time have good judgment. Knowing to follow even when you may not agree what it is, what's asked of you, versus following what's asked that isn't ethical. A good follower always had good work ethics. You'll have, sometimes you'll have a hard time being a good follower if you're not a good worker. A good follower must show discretion. You know where, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. It's said for a reason. Good followers are loyal. They respect their obligations and have strong allegiance to their leader. And finally, good followers keep their ego in check. They're team players, and they realize it's not all about them. Now, many of you can probably guess that I do play in the leadership role most of the time. It's part of my personality, and I flourish in this capacity. However, recently I was at a conference that I attend every year. I've been the keynote speaker, I've facilitated breakout sessions, and I'm always a vendor. This year, though, I was not going to be the leader. This year I was going to play the supporting role, the follower. This role was critical because if I showed that I could take direction, be loyal to the cause, and keep my ego in check, the outcome would be positive overall. The leader would be confident in her ability to do her role, and I knew others would follow as well. And you know what? They did. You see, followership, while always in the shadow of leadership, is equally as important. There are no leaders without followers. We all know that in business, you're only as good as your leadership, but we should also be aware that it's only as good as its followers as well. Great leaders attract great followers. So who would you follow? Well, someone with character, someone who will help you grow, someone has unique strengths and weaknesses which make them real, 
and most importantly, someone who has relevant experience, been there, done that. Now, while I was working in my corporate stint, I was both a leader and a follower. I led the agents with sales training and coaching and showed them how to be successful in the field. I was a follower because I reported to a leader who was in charge of all training. I had more credibility than anyone in the company because I had come from the field. I had character. I helped the agents grow. And I was even awarded the Character and Integrity Award from the field. I definitely had my own strengths, and I had others to do the things that helped me with my weaknesses. And I had the experience that the agents were in desperate need of. I had not only been there and done there, done that, I had bought the T-shirt as well. I'm also in the middle of a major book launch event with one of my guests. I am the leader of 25 other women, but I'm taking the follower role from someone who has amazing expertise in this field. Remember, people don't just follow anyone. You have to give them a good reason to follow. Many times people are placed into leadership roles and just believe that their teams will follow them because they have the title. Leadership is as much about being the person that people want to follow as it is about knowing where the team is headed. As British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli said, I must follow the people. Am I not their leader? As we celebrate and honor them this Memorial Day, think about this. Those we are honoring and remembering had such profound trust in the leadership and played their role as a follower to their utmost potential that it cost some of them their lives. When we come back, we're going to be joined by two retired military leaders who have what it takes to lead because they knew how to follow. This is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on Tough Talk Radio, and we will be right back. Did you know that an estimated 52 million Americans listened to Internet radio in the last month, or that weekly Internet radio audience has increased 60% over the last year, and that more than 8 in 10 people are online from any location. Tough Talk Radio Network is a company dedicated to providing a platform that allows opportunities for guests, hosts, and sponsors to market themselves to the Internet radio media, where they can be heard by millions. To find out how Tough Talk Radio Network can help you, go to toughtalkradionetwork.com. Do you want to know the secret to building a successful business quickly? It's all about taking action, but not just any action. It takes inspired and consistent action to get profits. Join Michelle Sism, the six-figure results lady, as she asks successful entrepreneurs their profitable secrets every Monday at 2 p.m. Central Time on Take Action, Get Profits with Michelle Sism on the Tough Talk Radio Network. If you're ready to take action and get profits, you can find out more about the show at TakeActionGetProfitsRadio.com. Are you a sales professional stuck in a rut? Are you a sales manager trying to direct women in your company? In her book, Selling in a Skirt, Judy Hoberman offers invaluable and proven insights into how gender differences can affect sales outcomes and the tools and strategies to drive real results in today's marketplace. Judy offers a suite of workshops, seminars, and coaching programs that complement her highly successful book. Her 30 years in sales have given her both the knowledge and a sense of humor about the gender differences that we should all understand and embrace instead of feeling unable to communicate. Judy's humorous stories about how men and women sell, manage, recruit, and supervise differently will enlighten you in learning how both genders can support each other's successes in a more productive way. Find out more by going to sellinginaskirt.com. 
Welcome back to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on Tough Talk Radio. Now, ordinarily, I have two guests on the show back-to-back, but today we're going to mix it up a bit by having both my guests on together. They have a lot of similarities, a lot of differences, but both gave their service to our country in in leading and supporting and also in fellowship roles. So let me introduce my amazing guests. Linda Schaefer-Venaria narrowly survived the crash of a high-performance jet airplane early in her flying career. Now she's the leading authority on edge performance and an international speaker, consultant, and coach. Linda acquired and honed her expertise in edge performance from her 20-plus year career and experiences as one of the first women U.S. Navy Navy test pilots and squadron commanders. For the 15 years following, on her, onto her Navy tenure, she has been an entrepreneur establishing enterprise coaching of Carlsbad and 2024 set. She has extensive coaching expertise, having personally coached over a thousand leaders and having been the lead coach of leadership development initiatives touching over 2,000 leaders. Linda has witnessed the breadth of challenges that leadership and business are facing and the hunger for tools and approaches to stretch leaders beyond their comfort zone, experience, and known environments and even further to keep themselves honest, focused, and on track in a very decisive way. She believes that there's no substitute for being ready and confident for right now, and also believes that the time to work on your edge capabilities is not when you're pushing the edge. Accordingly, she has dedicated her thought leadership to evolving tools, concepts, models, and methods that enable leaders to become masterful with edge performance and to have the hip they are shooting from being a strategic hip ready for whatever, whenever, so they engage and act with conviction and confidence moment by moment. Wow is the only way to describe those remarkable things that Linda has done. Next, retired Air Force Colonel Don Taylor, who was recently appointed as the Associate Director for Facility Support, effective April 2014. He retired in the grade of Colonel in 2006. During his career, he served in various positions across military medicine where he developed strategy and served as health policy plans advisor to the Air Force Surgeon General. He has served in various command positions and culminated his 27-year military career as the vice commander of the 59th Medical Wing in San Antonio, Texas at Wolford Hall. He also served as the commander of the Air Force Theater Hospital in in Balad Air Force Base, Iraq, in 2006. Among his military awards are the Legion of Merit, Bronze Star, and Iraqi Campaign Medal. He's on the board of directors of the Air Force Association and chairs their National Wounded Airmen Program. He has served as a community leader as past chairman of the Greater San Antonio Chamber of Commerce Military Affairs Committee. He has passed certifications with AAMA and is now diplomat status with the American College of Healthcare Executives. But my favorite role for him is as my husband, a.k.a. the Colonel. So welcome to the show, Linda and Don. Well, thank you, Judy. Thank you for having uh, me and and us. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Judy. And first, I want—I know everyone would want me to thank you for your service as well as sharing your expertise with thousands of others. So this is a this is an important day for you guys to be on this program. So. We're going to start with fellowship, a fellowership, and I love that word because it doesn't even sound like it's real. So I'm going to ask each of you, why do you think this is such an important concept, and why is everyone fixated on leadership with very little regard to followership? So, Linda, let's start with you. Uh, great, Judy. You know, followership is a word that stood in my mind and mindset for years. Actually, I had it 
as one of my ideals in leadership. I have, uh, you know, about 12 of those, but one of them I actually call dimensional followership. And I believe that followership is dismissed because it sounds passive. It sounds like you're second fiddle, like you're not doing anything. And that's quite the contrary. Followership is a really active place. It's it's a place of actually being proactive. And I believe part of it is we always think of that as being uh, involving people. When when you actually expand, expand beyond that to what I call dimensional followership, there's following the path of a great idea. Your greatest idea might come from your airmen, one of the newest people in your organization that has uh, a limited life experience but a wealth of enthusiasm and ideas and certainly the eyes to see uh, what's going on in the mission and want to participate in it. And so it's following the path of the greatest idea and being willing to listen to it and, and go there. It could be following your own values. You know, knowing that it's incredibly difficult to do that and will be very, very uncomfortable when we are. And, and so to me, followership is uh, not just important, but it's the foundation that drives us to be the best we can be. Okay, and the leadership role is to drive ourselves there. Right, absolutely. But you have to be a good follower in order to get the role of a good leader. So, Don, what, what's your thought? Um. <clears throat> This has always been uh, an interesting concept to me because through the military and throughout a career, you, you, you function in both. And at any particular job you have, you still are a follower uh, to some uh, superior leader in a very deliberate process. Challenges that, that I personally have had and what I've experienced is how you balance that role and how I energize folks that, depend on me to lead them through whatever the challenge or the mission at that moment, how I energize them to accept the role of followership and how to accept the role of being a member of a following team. Um, the best advice I ever was given was by a brigadier general Pedro Rivera many years ago who told me, he said, Don, you only work for those who work for you. And mm. just those simple words to me have I've carried through for the remainder of my career. said, Never worry about, frankly, anything else above me. Just follow your team. They're going to lead you in the right in the right direction. I fortunately have the ability to be surrounded by people much smarter than myself, <laughs> and I've been blessed with that throughout most of my career. But I also let them know that our success as a team depended on their specific followership. They had to cover what I call their designated lane. That's all out of trouble because – they were, frankly, pulling the oars with the rest of us. Um, I just had the ability to keep them all kind of talking and collaborating and have them understand how important it was that they pulled their part of the mission. Uh, so followership to me is, is essential, to the, frankly, to the concept of servant leadership as well, that you, you, you have to count on them, you have to depend on the followers, and then you have to develop the followership concept into the future leadership. So, so we can talk like a long time about all of this, but to me it's essential to all of it. And then in this particular day, as you said in the intro, uh, followership to the ultimate trust is, um, is compelling. And it's a concept mm -hmm. foreign to so many. 
Okay, so let me ask you a question. Do you think that that it's different in the military? I mean, obviously, in the military, if somebody tells you to do something, you do it because you need to do it unless it's something that's immoral or, or you know, not ethical. But is it different in the military? You, you both are now out of the military and you're in, you know, what I call the real world. You call it a different universe. But do you think it's different for people to be good followers in the military as opposed to being good followers in the business world? Don, you can answer that one first. Well, I, I have my own uh, my own views. In the military, um, and, and particularly in a war zone, um, it's 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 right. Your mission is right at you, and sometimes a deliberate engaged followership without question uh, means a lot. It, it can cost lives. And you feel it. You feel it in every moment. You feel it in your environment. You just sort of, you know, I have to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm to follow the leader to do my job in this place or somebody might die. And so you have this kind of compelling pressure on you to perform because the last thing you want is on your conscience or on your on your reputation and your honor uh, your failure as a, as a good follower. Now, that's in the military side. And even back home, you're always preparing for that to deliver what we need to do and, you know, kind of express the, nation, the, nation's, uh, the nation's power. But in the business sector, I personally have had struggles with followership um, for pure monetary or financial gain. Mm-hmm. It has to be something for a greater good. And those are the things, and that's frankly why I've had my own recent transition, is I have to have uh, me motivated by a hard calling, and I have no problem following in that. I just I just have a problem being motivated purely for the essence of business. So uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, Linda, your thoughts. I... Yeah, I love what you're saying, Don. And, you know, one of the opportunities I've had from coaching so many leaders, and many of them being – uh, retired military, ex-military for short periods of time and focus in so many industries and other leaders that are not in the military is I believe there's a real challenge sometimes with military in the transition of mixing up loyalty and followership and the ideal of having the best that can be had out there and also honoring that business has to make money. And so it's not always about the total highest calling. I think in the military, we are driven to the highest calling. I still have a 30-foot flagpole in my front yard. Our house looks like a post office, and I believe in that. And every day I look out the window and I see the flag, and I go, you know, God and country, that's, that's what my life is about. My, my uh, father was a prisoner of war, and, and uh, certainly understand being a child of a prisoner of war and everything, how it impacts the family and and all of those things, and, you know, just really that there is a, a higher calling and a passion that goes with that. Not everybody comes to the workforce with that passion uh, in the same way. Their passion is supporting their family. And I think it's so important in followership to not believe that every aspect of the highest calling has to come with combat loyalty. Otherwise, it can be hard to bring out the best in people, and it's just important to remind ourselves what is the highest that we can do. I believe, you know, the followership for leadership, you know, how we can hold that highest calling is going really what are the results that I'm responsible for, and how does that call me 
to participate, and how does that call me to lead? Because in that context, we are all followers, even if we're the leader, and even if we're not knowingly following anything out there in the most precise way, we're inviting ourselves to follow the highest calling that there can be, as opposed to the highest calling in terms of giving our life uh, and service to God and country. And I think it's important to separate that out. Don, what are your thoughts to add to that? Well, wait, before you go there, I want to ask you a question because, you know, one of the things that we do on this program is we bring valuable information to women, whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter. So my question for for both of you is, you talk about followership, you talk about in the military, you talk about out of the military. Do you think that women are great followers, whether you're in or out? It doesn't matter because I think that women have a different perception and a different perspective. And sometimes I know for me being in the, you know, being not in the leadership role, I really have to psych myself into that knowing that it's the right thing to do, but I have issues with it sometimes because, I know what I'm capable of doing. So I have to stop and and reflect and say, okay, this is not my thing. It's somebody else's, and they know more than I do, or they're better qualified, or they're in that position, or whatever. So do you think that women make great followers, and and, or do they make better leaders? So, Linda, why don't you start with that one? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, uh, Judy. And I I actually think it's a very dimensional question because it really depends on the situation. You know, one of the experiences I had is, you know, being one of the uh, first women jet pilots and and also, you know, the dimension beyond that of, like, every squadron I go to, I often would be the only pilot and sometimes the only women officer, uh, certainly one of the only senior officers. Like when I went to do an assignment in Japan as, you know, one of the – I was the only woman pilot in, like, a 5,000 person air wing and there were some circumstances that drove that being a requirement and a need and I had a very important assignment to do. What, what's important to realize is any of us, any person, when they're under pressure, you tend to get driven to your pole. And so if you'd normally be cooperative, you become uncooperative. If you'd normally be uncooperative, you might become cooperative. And that dimension, when you're talking about people, in this case women, that might be uh, small numbers, it can drive you to be whatever it is that that poll would be. Uh, So you could be totally a follower in that case or totally a leader. And and what I have observed is that the women I've been exposed to have either been like the best leaders or the worst in the environment because of that. The middle ground uh, didn't get to observe that. I think we're observing more of that now that the numbers have increased and that that uh, pressure ha- has come down. And so my answer to that is kind of that. The, o- the other aspect of this, uh, and I think it's a huge, huge aspect, is that we forget that when we're looking through our eyes, and when, as a you know one of the only women, I would look through my eyes and I'd see all men around me, and I would forget that when they're looking through their eyes, they see me (laughs) and all the men. And and the biggest teaching moment for me of that was actually a situation where I actually went down in an aircraft and had an aircraft uh, accident and was very, very lucky to survive. You you mentioned that. And then when I got taken to the hospital and put in the intensive care unit, I had the very unusual circumstance 
of being the woman jet pilot with my nurse being a man. This was 30 years ago when men were not mm-hmm. nurses. And when you're in intensive care, you take potluck, <laughs> whoever's taking care of you, and you also are very grateful that there is somebody there to take care of you. And I remember, you know, looking you know, through my eyes thinking, how odd is this? And I realized, you know, later when I was reflecting back, he's probably saying, how odd is that? <laughs> right. And what that taught me is you have to give people permission to have that initial reaction to you. It's it's not personal. It's just human. And to kind of go from there, and what that invites is the opportunity after that for us to really be, in my case, Linda or Don or Judy showing up. And when we become that and we bring the human element to it, it all changes. But without Mm -hmm. that permission to have that first moment and reaction, let other people have it too, I don't know that we get there soon enough. And so some of that collaboration and followership can go out the window. Right, absolutely. So, Don, not only um, have you been in the military for many years, and I know you've had a lot of women in your um, charge. I do know that. And I do know that you're married to one that has a lot of her own special thoughts. So what do you think? Are women good followers or leaders or what? Um, You know, it's a challenging (laughs) question, and it's interesting from my perspective. Uh, you know, not only am, am I married to a very strong-minded, capable woman, I have daughters, as I said, both by birth and by choice, who are all very strong-minded as well. Uh, I love all of them for that. They have uh, endured scars and grown and developed and matured to a point where they really express their thoughts, not intimidated by anyone and able to engage in whatever environment they happen to be challenged with at the moment. Back on my on my own career, and I've seen women, particularly in the military and in leadership roles, adapt so much over the last 30 years. Uh, having been a medic, uh, a lot of women in that universe, just, just by nature. I uh, had to learn to work with them very quickly, both as superiors and, uh, and as peers and subordinates. And I watched them change over time. And as Linda had said, I think the opportunities are just beginning to, to emerge. Um, I find that some of the best leaders ever have been women and some of the worst as well. And, and I, I, I echo what, what uh, Linda said about that as well. Um, the, the, my observation has been uh, they, some that, that, that understand it, um, understand how to manage what they call power. Uh, it's really just the power of influence, but they don't understand that the title comes with responsibilities. Sometimes that, that doesn't click well. They just... I've seen them become too heavy-handed at times. Now, let me just do a break, though, and say quickly, I'm going to go to the war zone, and I will tell you I saw absolute heroics there by women in the war zone with compassion, lack of fear. It was almost like this motherly instinct clicked in that the men didn't have. The men did not have. I, I, I could not believe what I was witnessing with the never-ending commitment never tired, always there, putting up with everything, frankly, uh, with Iraqi patients who would spit at them, and they would just go back another day and care of them every time. I mean, I that changed uh, my view um, of some of the commitment and leadership that women can bring to the plate. So I'm eager to see transition. 
Uh, I'm eager to see where it goes in the future and how women are going to grow into those roles. All right, that's fair enough. I think that, you know, a lot of times we see people, male and female, that are not in the correct roles, and they're given those roles, whether it just happens to be right place, right time, or wrong place, right time. And I've seen some pretty effective men in leadership roles, and I've seen some pretty effective women in leadership roles, but I've also seen both of them not in the correct roles either. And I always tell, you know, my my clients when they ask me to help them recruit women into a certain industry into a certain profession, you know, a level, I always say, take the resumes and cut the names off. When you find a qualified person, that's who you hire, not because they're female and not because they're male. So you always have to have the right person. And with that, we are going to take a break um, to make sure that we thank our sponsors, CDP Consulting. If you want to watch your business grow and get some buzz, become one of our sponsors. Just go to toughtalkradionetwork.com, click on the Sponsor tab, and watch your business soar. This is Selling in the Square with Judy Hoberman on Tough Talk Radio, and we'll be right back with Don and Linda. Live a choice where your imagination becomes your reality. If you can imagine it, it's possible. If you can believe it, it's yours. We get it. You're done with the way it is now. You're finished with all the frustration around why you feel stuck and your life isn't working. Imagine what your life would be like if you could have all the answers and see new possibilities. We at Live a Choice choose to make a difference. Live a Choice has developed a proven process and a series of questions that lead participants to the answers they seek, gaining new understanding and self-awareness for both your personal and professional life. If you're ready to get to the life you want, contact us today. Visit liveatchoice.com to get started. Life's Issues with Lloyd Rosen, a show that delves into the hot topics of life. Lloyd takes life's issues head-on with hard-hitting interviews with professionals such as doctors and teachers, as well as those that have experienced life's alerting issues, whether professional, emotional, or physical. Lloyd wants to help those that are searching for answers to living a successful life. Life's Issues airs every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Central Time, right here on the Tough Talk Radio Network. Find out more at lifesissueswithlloydrosen.com. Are you an entrepreneur? Are you where you want to be? Do you believe that if you build it, they will come? Unfortunately, entrepreneurship doesn't work that way, and that's why you need to read Famous Isn't Enough. In this book, you'll find real-life situations and lessons learned. When all is said and done, there's nothing better than being your own boss. Remember, nothing just happens. You have to put in the work. Famous Isn't Enough is your roadmap. Get your copy today at www.famousisntenough.com. Welcome back to Selling in the Square with Judy Hoberman on Tough Talk Radio. Now, I want to make sure you stay current with everything that's going on, all our events, all our updates, and everything else. So go ahead and like us on Facebook on Selling in a Skirt, Judy Hoberman, and Tough Talk Radio Network. And also, you can follow us on Twitter. Just follow Selling in a Skirt. We will keep you connected. We'll make sure that you see everything that we are showing, and we will be taking you towards success and profitability. Okay, so, Don, Linda, you both have some pretty major firsts in your career. Linda, you were one of the first U.S. Navy test pilots and squadron commanders. Don, you were the first, and I don't know, maybe the only non-physician commander of the Air Force Theater Hospital at Blot. So a couple of questions here. First, what's the responsibility of being the first? Because there usually is something 
pretty major going on there. And second, you know, how have you been able to take some of the experiences that you've had, what you know best, and make a career out of it? So, Linda, let's start with you. That's a a wonderful question, and I do think there's a responsibility for being the first, and we often don't think about it uh, as the bigger responsibility because it's a place quite often where you feel isolated and alone, and so the responsibility isn't the first thing on your mind. I I believe, you know, for being first, if you, if you're really in integrity with the fact that that's something you have a passion for doing, that you believe you're right for doing, uh, that you're there for the right reasons, then your responsibility is to be doing it for the right reasons, not just to be making a statement. When we're making a statement, I don't think anybody's doing anybody any favors. But for me, you know, aviation and the path in the military, you know, my grandmother was on the front lines as a nurse in World War One, so she was actually the first one in the military. My father was a prisoner of war and a navigator in B-17s, and I had cousins that were KIA in, in World War Two in aviation, and none of that was talked about in the family, and I would find artifacts up in the attic when I was a kid and, and those things that really called my name, and there was just something that had uh, such a special meaning to it that came across in the things I found, even though it was never talked about. And so it was always kind of part of who I was. And so for me, I felt like I was in absolute integrity, even though there was nothing but push against me, uh, even for my own family, like, uh, you know, why would you want to do that? You'll get killed uh, and those things. But when you really feel called and driven to it and are integrity with it, then I believe it's the right place to go, and then what you have to manage is how you're dealing with the naysayers around you. And so part of your responsibility is to be doing that in a way that actually comes across as somebody that is doing it for the right reasons and, and not just there to uh, uh, you know, poke people in the eyes and, and, and those things. So I think that that's a, a real big aspect of it. And, you know, and being one of the first in whatever it is, whether it's, you know, in the military or not, um, sometimes people start to believe their own press because they were the first of this or the first of that. And it doesn't take them in the right, um, on the right path. It takes them totally down a different path. And we're going to talk about it in one second. But, Don, I want to hear your your thoughts about, you know, being the first, being something that nobody probably believed you should be in that position, and yet you made it really work. Well, it, uh, being the first was, first of all, a huge and humbling and honorable opportunity. Um, however, as, uh, as Linda said, it does come with a huge responsibility to not fail. Uh, I didn't want to be the first to screw it up either for someone else. So you try just a bit harder, not only to prove that you can do it, but you can excel at it as well. Um, I, I know I had a challenge when I first arrived at uh, as a hospital commander in Phoenix, Arizona at Luke Air Force Base, trained F-16 pilots there. I was the first surgeon world went crazy. Uh, what's this hospital administrator doing commanding our hospital? So I had some, I had some trust to, to earn. That's one of the key elements of this. Is you do have to earn the trust of the folks mm-hmm. that, that you're counting on to deliver the mission. I obtained uh, flight status. I flew in the back seat, about 16s. 
and I did it every Friday afternoon. And uh, and I also did it without throwing up. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and Linda, you understand what that means. Oh, I'm impressed with that. Um, <laughs> I had about 60 flights, and I frankly could, you know, and I, I proved to them I could do 9Gs without a suit and grin. Well, that, I had huge credentials after that because they saw me as one of their team now. But I had to, I had to find a way to be embraced and accepted by that mission and the physicians and, frankly, by the way, the pilots as well on that installation. So when I say I have to go above and beyond, I've had to do that in another, a few other assignments. But I've always learned that I can do the best I can, but I'm still only one of one. Um, and I don't necessarily, sometimes you may break the glass ceiling, but there may not be anyone behind you coming up to do the same. And, and I've, I've seen that happen, frankly, in some of the roles I've had. Right. I feel right. compelled to do it kind of in another universe now uh, with, a, with, a, with a mission and a calling, and that's what it's about. Well, you know, one of the things that women are known most for is about building relationships. And we talk about, you know, doing business, um, with people that we trust and respect and we like. And that's what you're both talking about. We also know that, you know, growing up and, and trying to get a name out there, we're always told to take your experiences, what you know the best, and talk about it, teach about it, write about it, or whatever. So, Linda, you've taken all your leadership skills and built on your past experiences and past expertise, and you created the, your, have the leading authority on edge performance, LEAP. So can you share with our listeners, you know, how did you get there? You know, I mean, did you, like, write down everything you learned and, and said, okay, one day I'm going to make this happen? Or was it something that was, like, almost organic that it just, it, it was, you knew that was your calling and you knew you had to get in front of people? That's a great, uh, Judy. I, I was actually compelled to focus on that topic. I wasn't born to focus on that topic, but... After the uh, aircraft accident experience, I was in A4 and going down in the aircraft, you know, in an inverted spin, getting bashed uh, in the cockpit, something fierce. Uh, you know, I'm sure Don has uh, heard many of those stories, too, from a- aviation and, and such. And uh, it's a harrowing time. And then I went to pull the ejection handle, and the seat didn't leave the aircraft. And that got my attention because when you have five seconds before you're going to die and uh, you don't forget a moment like that. And I was a new pilot uh, when that happened. I was a very young pilot and I forced myself to focus and manage to think about uh, something that would save my life, uh, you know, which was a note, a small note that was in the, the NATOPS manual, the, the flight manual that we would uh, read and study and you know, it was known for, as jokingly, that, you know, it put you to sleep at night, but at the same time it would save your life. Uh, it was people's reactions to me surviving that really compelled me. They go, wow, it's incredible that you survived. It's it's uh, amazing that you're still with this. And I was thinking, like, it should be amazing that I died. And that kept rolling over in my head. And I'm going, well, how did I survive and how can I bottle this? Is, is there a message there where I could bottle it and take it so it could help anybody? And and I just kept thinking about it for 30 years. It became uh, almost possessed with cracking mm-hmm. the code on how that would be. And when I started to think about things and and, and the different pieces of it, I go, this is com- complicated. This is really a, a lifetime of thought and dedication. 
And uh, the more I, I learn and think about it, the more it compels me to go on. And, and I just I find through coaching it's helped so many people, leaders from all walks of life, some ex-military, some, uh, you know, coached a, a Marine colonel who was uh, going to Haiti and, and uh, Afghanistan as, in the civilian uh, aspect of it, but still, you know, serving the country in that, uh, you know, so many leaders. And I go, this works. And uh, there's not a lot out there. I found pe- people's hunger for it made me even want to do it more. Like, is this written anywhere? And I go, well, no, it's not. I have my own notes and book. I'm happy to send it to you. And, and so that just has fed the, the fire and the flame to uh, be passionate and keep doing it. And I will keep studying this and, and focusing and helping people with it the rest of my life. I, I just uh, think it's that important. Yeah, absolutely. And we always know when there's that missing piece, you know, oh, wow, that's really what I was needing. So that's that's awesome. So let me, Donna, let me ask you, you have been a big proponent of giving back and mentoring. And you've done this, you know, through your career. You do it now in your position. Talk about, you know, when you left the military, where how you've taken what you've learned and take it to your present position. Well, when I left the military, uh, we all go through moments in life where you, you have – a time, and I believe you reflect, and I think, Linda, as you just described about that near-death experience you had. Um, I, you know, my experience was, frankly, I shifted from my career, business-type focus mentality to my my time in Iraq. Just changed sort of this this purpose as to why you do things. Um, you, you observe so much of the uh, of the dark side of war when you see kids struggling and you see a committed staff of medics that, that frankly work magic to save lives. Um, and I just had the fortune and the privilege of leading them for a very short window. But I learned so much about, about what leadership, how important it is, uh, followership, how important that is, and then how important it is for us to remain committed to these young folks who trust us as a nation and as an ideal to take care of them. Mm-hmm. It's just so obvious there. And so when I retired, you know, as you know, Judy, I went into engineering for a while, ran an engineering company and thought I could develop leadership there, but I never had the fire in the belly, never had the fire in the belly. I never went home at night going, I made a difference in someone's life. I mean, made a difference in the bottom line. But I wasn't happy with that. What I've since have learned is I fit better in a corporate culture where I'm getting to take care of, of people, of people that have, that are either, that, that frankly need, need support and service. So I, uh, as you know, I've struggled for a while deciding to go back into the veterans and going back into veterans care and now working in the VA and had a difficult time, but I'm, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Um, it, it's a fire. It, it, I have the fire in the belly. I see a greater good. I see a, a larger vision of a very capable system. Um, so, I've transitioned that moment, those moments from Iraq, into kind of the fire in the belly now that I see uh, and I get to have each week. Well, and I would say that the um, the general population are very lucky to have the two of you sharing what you know because. Um, you both have, like, I call you big brains, but you also have a big heart. And I think that that's important when you give back and you're able to do what you love the most and make a difference in people's lives. 
So, so let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about Memorial Day because, as I said in the beginning, many people consider this to be the official beginning of summer. And others are looking in the newspaper to see what the sales are, what the stores are offering. And, and yet others do really understand the meaning behind it. So if you could tell our listeners what Memorial Day really means to you, you know, is it, is it the leadership? Is it the followership? Is it the sacrifices? What does it truly mean? Because, you know, last night Don and I were watching the Memorial Day concert, and I was crying through most of it because they were talking about the people that have sacrificed. Some that have sacrificed by the ultimate, by, by dying, but also some that have sacrificed that are still here, but maybe not, you know, a whole person. And so it's just, I guess, everybody looks at it differently. So, Linda, what, what is Memorial Day, and why is it so important that people honor those that have made sacrifices? It's incredibly important. And I would go so far as to say when you've been in the military, every day is Memorial Day in, in your heart. But Memorial Day is that time when you believe in hope, that the rest of the folks that have not served and may not have been touched pause to think and reflect on it. And I think it's a special time to have that quiet moment to go, what am I really called to do next? And and how do I want to uh, inspire others or or help others? But the, the greater meaning of Memorial Day to me, if I look big picture, is that our country is worth fighting for. And I look at all the lives that people have given uh, in my own family and, and others, and, and they go willfully. You know, it's not that everybody's been drafted to do this. They signed up to do this, and they gave their lives because they believe that what we have here is so special that they want to uh, protect it for their families and, and for the generations that come. And, and uh, I think that message that we have a country worth fighting for and that there's been so many that we owe a debt of gratitude to in so many ways, uh, many living right now and, and those that have passed, that that is forgotten, both those things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that, I think that um, you know, when you go into an airport and everybody is, applauding those that are coming in or going out, you know, I think that's wonderful, but I think that that's just like the surface. It's just the surface. I think that, you know, I always walk up to someone and thank them for their service. I do. Um, I did not grow up military, and and Don and I have this conversation all the time. I'm from the Northeast, and and for some reason, we don't don't run to sign up. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you what it's about. But that's always been, and maybe because I come from the the era of the Vietnam War, and maybe that's part of it. But, you know, I am much more patriotic now, much more into um, taking care of veterans. I, You know, I try to work with female veterans, and, and I just have a very special place in my heart. And so I think that there's, there's just so much more to um, this whole group that should be honored and not just every day. So, Don, what's your thought? Well, um, well, first of all, I think it's in chair, and as I said, every day would be <laughs> is the way as it should be. But you know, the one percent that serves, or the one percent that's, that's touched by the ultimate service, or the ultimate trust, or the ultimate sacrifice, um, they can't be forgotten. And in this stage, you know, we we, we are a, certainly we're a country we're fighting for, as, as Linda said, we're something, we're an ideal, and we're 
society. We can never let our kids that choose to serve be classified as disposable. And uh, sometimes I, I have a fear that that it falls off, you know, off of the, the national stage. We can never let that happen as long as anyone is at risk, mm-hmm. as long as anyone's still serving anywhere in the world. As I as I said, uh, when you see them, when you see them uh, firsthand in their last moments, uh, and you see the level of commitment that they have to each other. I remember uh, once. <laughs> Once in, in Iraq, I was in the ICU, and there were two Marines laying there, one across from each other. One was a, was a gunny, and across the, right across in the other bed was a, and the gunny had been burned, and was, he was blinded temporarily. And I walked in to just say, and asked him how they were doing. And all the gunny would ask him, where's my LP? And I said, he's right over there. And he goes, is he good? And I said, he's good. He goes, I promised his mother I'd bring him home. He goes, don't let him get away from me. So, you know, you see this kind of commitment to each other. And it, uh, I, I don't want people to, I don't want them to forget what that's like. There's nothing richer in the planet to have that commitment to one another. And, Absolutely. Uh, the Day helps us with that. Yes, yeah, I agree. I would agree. Okay, let's take a little shift here. Take a little shift. And let's talk about some of the things that are coming up. And I know, I know, Linda, you've written a book already, and I know, Don, you're in the process of writing a book. And Linda and I are in the process of launching a book with 24 other women called Pure Wealth. So let's talk about your books. Let's say, Linda, talk about the book that you already wrote, the book that you're doing, and if there's any other books coming up for you. Well, I'd be happy to, Judy. I mean, the first book I wrote was Piloting Your Edge. And that got inspired to be written because so many of the leaders that I was coaching said, you know, when are you going to write a book? When are you going to give this back to me? And and so I just said, well, today's the day and I'll have it out in six months. And uh, it's just a compilation of so many of the concepts and all. And, it, and it's so uh, kind of a raw form, but it's the whole concept, uh, uh, mindset and habits, and different ways uh, of thinking are essential to calibrate how you are relative to the edge. Most of us think about the edge as some like dot out there in space of something that uh, we want to go to, and we go, oh, that's edgy, as opposed to the whole universe is expanding around us, whether it's our Internet, uh, everything about it is, is expanding around us, and its edge is a moving target. And I think it's important that people have a way of calibrating where they are relative to that so they can make decisions and not feel lost. And so I have found that uh, the focus of that was helping people get a, a sense of, of uh, how not to be lost in this world of uncertainty, competing demands, chaos, uh, unknown territory. Where I am now in writing the book, The Art of Now, is I believe that we can size that up in a very precise way. And so uh, this book that we'll be launching here in the next uh, few months has five arms, you know, sculpting philosophy, understanding edge, architecting your emotional stature, uh, uh, and a couple other arms that uh, really keep us focused so that we show up to right now with confidence and are ready for anything anywhere shooting from a strategic hip. And so that's uh, 10 years later, here we are, but that's what that's about. Okay, awesome. 
Awesome. And then you wrote a chapter in our anthology book that is also on your topic. And we're going to be able to, well, we officially are launching it right this moment. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's, uh, thank you. That, that's about focusing your entrepreneurial lens. You know, so often we don't get our lens focused. We're so busy showing up at our business that we don't take that moment to pause and go, how should I lead myself? I'm I'm just here to do my business. But whether you're a business of one or a business of 100, you have to pause and get your leadership lens honed and ready to go so that you're taking advantage of everything. And so that chapter is really just about that, and it's uh, leveraging all the lessons from going down the aircraft to coaching people in just a few short pages. Awesome. And, you know, this is a shameless plug for us, but the book is Pure Wealth, 26 Ways to Crazy Profitability. And each one of us has shared, you know, what what profitability means to us and what pure wealth means to us. And Linda's chapter is awesome, just saying. So hopefully everybody (laughs) will grab the book. And, Don, I know that you're in the process of writing a book or two. Do you want to talk about that? Well, yes. The first one is uh, is one titled uh, Notionally Angels in Hell and the Commitment of Wisdom and the Leadership Lessons of, of, that, uh, that I kind of collected from that through a number of uh, vignettes and scenarios from there. That's the first one. It's outlined. You've got to get busy on that one. I've got another one in the near term already interviewed. Um, uh, it it kind of just tells the story of a young 18-year-old kid from New Haven, Connecticut who was a radio man on the 17 crew in World War II, Erwin Harrison, nicknamed Itchy. And uh, interviewed him a couple of times, and uh, he has an incredible story of, you know, being shot down and belly landing in a in a minefield in Belgium, and personally meeting the Pope in his quarters as he if the Pope literally thanks him for saving Europe, and meeting Eisenhower, and uh, he just has kind of like a Forrest Gump existence, and I'm eager to get that in print here very soon, uh, so that we can so he can celebrate it too. He's uh, 88 going on 89. And he's uh, He's a fun guy who has a great story to tell. Yes, and actually his grandson was on, on my show a couple of weeks ago. Um, so the, the whole family is just amazing. They're just amazing. So, yes, you need to get that book out the door. So, uh, yes, I will be on that very soon. Okay, so <laughs> as we uh, as we wind down a little bit, because um, you know how fast this hour is has flown by, so I want to ask you what you want to leave our listeners with today and how they can connect with you. So, Linda, what, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, great, Judy. I'd like to leave our listeners with the fact that create a lot of our own hope by pausing and leading ourselves uh, in different directions and choosing to follow things that perhaps we haven't chosen to follow before maybe even advice of our own that we've given to other people and never absorbed it into what we're going to do. And so to take that pause and think a couple minutes every day on that so it can be the framework of how you go forward. And it's incredibly powerful to do that. Uh, How people can get in touch with me, they can contact me directly if they like to at enterprisecoaching at roadrunner.com or they can look me up on LinkedIn uh, or uh, I'm also on Alexa Group, A-L-E-X-E-E-L. And uh, you know, looking forward to hearing from anybody that uh, would love to chat and have questions answered on this. 
and we're going to post all of your information. And, of course, if you would like to get Linda's book, um, they're all on her website. And if you're looking to get the newest book that's coming out for the June 28th event, it's purewealthbook.com, and you can order the book. And we are going to get them autographed. So you will see 26 lovely ladies autographing their chapters. Okay, Don, what do you want to leave our listeners with today? You know, it really it summed up easy, you know. Find something you really care about and do that. That's really the simple thing for me. Just find something you care about that's really important. You know, be part of something bigger than yourself. Mm -hmm. That's all. That's the best advice I could give anyone. We tend to wander away from that in today's society. Uh, And you can reach me at Judy at (laughs) SellingInTheSkirt.com. There you go. Well, I just want to thank the two of you for taking time on this, you know, wonderful Memorial Day and spending time with our listeners. This has been absolutely amazing. Um, I've learned so much, and I just, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, both of you. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank well, you. Hopefully, and hopefully, I can, I can convince you to come back. <laughs> I would love to. It'd be a pleasure. Thanks, Judy. Thanks, Linda. Thanks, Don. Okay, so as we close out this day where we honor those that have made sacrifices for our country, here's what I know. Some gave up their dreams and what they thought was their full potential by losing body parts and mobility, while others made the ultimate sacrifice, giving up their lives. In many instances, it's just it was just too hard to go forward, and for others, they choose to take those experiences and pay it forward with speaking and coaching and writing and sharing. David Morris, a firm, former Marine infantry officer and war correspondent, sums it up like this. It's become important for Americans to look upon their veterans as victims, to believe once a person has seen the world at its worst and been changed by the experience, that they have fallen into a kind of abyss, an underworld of the disease defined solely by loss and pain. But what if they were to, say, decline to fall? I think it's important for us to see this. It's our responsibility to take care of those who volunteered to risk everything for our freedom. I challenge you to see those that are injured and the families by those that have lost loved ones as bringing a new perspective and commitment into your life. And we should appreciate these amazing men and women who made sacrifices every day, not just on Memorial Day and Veterans Day. I thank you all for tuning in every Monday at noon central where we share some extraordinary guests ideas for your business, and ways to stay, to stand out as the amazing women that you are. Make sure you stay connected with us, and remember, women want to be treated equally, not identically. Until next week, this is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on Tough Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman, brought to you by the Tough Talk Radio Network. A special thanks to all of our sponsors. If you'd like to be a sponsor or a guest, please visit toughtalkradionetwork.com.